Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Emily, how we doing? There we go. That's on me. God bless the tech team down here working last night, getting everything situated. Hallelujah. Good morning. How are we doing? Good to see everybody. Those of you that are on vacation, uh, we welcome you uh, this, this morning and others that are joining. Today we begin a new sermon series as we continue to seek and to treasure wisdom. And so for the next four weeks, we are looking at words, words that speak life. Proverbs 18 tells us death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so I'm asking us, I'm asking myself, would we be willing to lean in and pay close attention to the words that are coming out of our mouth day to day in our homes and at school and at work? Jesus said that whenever good has been treasured and stored up in our hearts, good comes out. Jesus went on to say that when evil or foolishness is being treasured in our hearts, evil comes out. And then he put, this, he put it all in one statement. It's a statement we're all so familiar with uh, that it's, just, it's so good to have on our minds that out of the abundance of what's in our hearts, our mouths speak. Words come out, words that are revealing what's going on in here. Well, it's fascinating that Jesus himself is referred to as the Word. John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of John 1, John says, And the Word became flesh. He clothed himself in human skin, and he dwelled among us. And John says, look, to spend life with the Word and to listen to the Word speak, he said it was just like this. He spoke full of grace and truth. When he spoke, he didn't deny the truth, but he did it with grace. How? <laughs> How do we do that with our words is a lifelong journey. And so today, what we're asking is, do my words build up or tear down? You'll have to click it for me. Do my words build up or do they tear down? You think of this, a lot of people have used the truth with no grace, and they have tore down a lot of individuals with the truth because it had no grace. And so this is powerful. We're thinking about the idea of do I encourage or do I discourage? Do I build people up or tear people down? And this is, we know this is powerful because it's so memorable. If I asked each of you, could you tell me a time in your life when someone made fun of you, when someone called you a name, when someone put you down? And all of us would most likely be able to say, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't want to really think about it, but I, I can remember that. And we remember that because of how bad it hurt in the moment, right? But if I asked you, can you remember a time in life when someone encouraged you? Can you remember a time in life when someone inspired you? Can you remember a time in life when maybe you felt defeated or you felt like giving up and someone came into your life, a friend, a coach, a teacher, a parent, and they spoke to you in such a way that your whole spirit began to change? That you rose up, your attitude changed. You felt like a complete failure. And they said, failure is not final with God. You felt like giving up. And you realized, man, sometimes in life I need a second chance. I need a third chance. I need a fourth chance. And somehow this person encouraged you and you believed what they said. And you walked away 
knowing this. That person seems to care more about how I feel about myself than I currently actually feel about myself. And maybe your day was changed. Maybe your whole life was changed. But encouragers, God works through encouragers to change people's lives. And so we're asking, do my words build up or do my words tear down? So if you would, with this question in mind, would you please look at Proverbs chapter 12? It's going to be up here on the big screen. And stand with me in reverence and honor for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible word. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 25 says that anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. But, but a good word makes it glad. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to treasure the wisdom of your word in our hearts, we pray that you would teach us what it means to let the treasuring of your word begin to or continue to flow out of our mouths. Lord, we ask that by the power of your spirit and the, and the treasures of your word that you would expose these areas of our lives that we're not encouragers. Maybe we're discouragers. Maybe we are negative. Maybe we tear people down and pick them apart. Whatever it would be, Lord, mold your people today into a people that speak words with truth and grace and encourage. And so that we can better minister and be a witness to you, to others in this world. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So it's important to know today that we're, we're not just saying, we're not just talking about someone who was born with that personality. That I mean, when they come out of the, out of the womb and they, say, they begin to say a word, they begin to say, good job, mama. I mean, you know, there's, there's those kids out there that they just come out fired up and they just say good things and nice things all the time. What we're focusing on today is for everyone who has responded to the gospel trusted in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and has indwelling within them the Spirit of God. You have the power, regardless of your personality, to speak words that have life. Jesus spoke words that were life-giving, not life-taking. He was inviting, not condemning with his words. And that power is within us. And we're going to look today at how do we access that power and be sensitive to that power so that it's coming out in our words. When you look at this text, it's, it's fascinating because it, you can kind of picture two people. You can see a person and maybe you've been this person, maybe someone today is this person currently, but what's in their heart is worry, stress, and anxiety. And we would all testify, if you've, if you've had worry and stress in your heart before, you just feel defeated. You feel depressed. That's just what the verse says. But then this other person in verse 25 comes along, and the wisdom of the word of God says, when this other person comes along and gives a good word, crosses paths with a depressed person and gives a good word, makes it glad. What's the it? What is the it in verse 25? The it in 25 is the anxious, worried, troubled heart at the beginning of verse 25. Now stick with me. 
If you and I step back, we would all say, man, if I'm going to be one of these two people, I want to be the one that's bringing the good word. And God is saying, if you want to be the person that gives the good word, have good treasure stored up in your heart. And I will cross your paths with the person that's hurting because I want the person that's hurting to, be, to receive the good word and get good treasure in their hearts. And we would all agree, if you are and if I am the person in the text that has worry and stress in our hearts, the last person I want to cross paths with, with is the negative person. I don't want to run into the guy at the grocery store that's just going to feed into how I already feel and just make me feel worse, right? I don't want to run into the lady that's just complaining about everything and then looks at me and says something off the wall about me. I want to run into the person that's going to speak something good into my life. Well, I want to talk with you today. Based upon the Word of God, there are five key elements. I'm not saying these are the only five, but there are five key elements that if we can write these down and store these up, we will be a church that encourages people that are hurting and broken, and it, it's really exciting. So here's the first one. Encouragement flows from my perception of God. All throughout the Bible... You can see what I'm about to say. We know, we know this. I'm going to pick a story, a familiar story. It's in Numbers 13 and 14. And I want to ask two questions. Joshua and Caleb are the encouragers. The other 10 spies are not. We want to ask, what did they see? Because what they saw directly connected to what they said. Now, follow me here. The children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. God delivered them. They crossed the Red Sea, and they're in the wilderness for how long? 40 years, right? Near the end of that 40 years, Moses says, not God, but Moses says, hey, let's go spy out the promised land. Wait a minute. Let's go spy out the land that God promised us. Just go get it. So 12 spies, are you with me? 12 spies go and, and they're there for 40 days and they come back and you know the story. They're carrying grapes the size of basketballs, pomegranates and figs. They're probably eating them as they come back, and, and they give the report to the people. Man, this land's amazing. It truly is. It's the milk and honey land. It's everything there grows good gardens. There's some pretty big people over there. I mean, I saw guys that's taller than me and taller than you. I saw some big people. <clears throat> and Josh, or Caleb begins to notice something. The people are getting a little worried. He notices. The people are starting to look kind of anxious. And Caleb notices what's happening. He says, shh, 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 shh. Everybody quiet down, quiet down, quiet down. Look, look, look. Let's go at once and take possession for we're able to overcome it. Did you feel that? He's an encourager. He built the people. I see the anxiety. No, 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 no. God promised the land. Let's go. I mean, it's good land. Let's go. He's an encourager. He rallied the troops. And maybe some people perked up. And then the other ten spies, not Joshua, but the other ten, began to do what we don't like. They discouraged the people. They, the Bible says they began to give a bad report and say the land's bad. It's not good. And actually the people aren't just eight feet tall. They're 20 feet tall. They're, they're, they're just awful. It's like everybody is kin to Hercules in this land. We'll be grasshoppers. They'll squish us. Well, that's discouraging. Talk about a Debbie Downer. I mean, you're getting ready to play a game. Hey, just so you guys know today, we're going to lose. 
just try not to get killed. You know, we're, I mean, we're going to lose. Don't, I mean, thanks for the pep talk, coach. And, and, and God sees us. And you think, think about this. It's all, encouragement flows from my perception of God. What do you mean? It's what they saw. Caleb and Joshua saw the same thing physically that the other 10 guys saw, but not spiritually. Caleb and Joshua correlated what they saw based upon what they knew about God. What they knew about God is he's the God that parted the Red Sea. He's the God that has provided water from the rock, manna from heaven, and quail during all this time. Why, what reason has God given us now to not obey his word? So when they saw the land, they saw victory. They saw promise given, promise kept. Let's go. And so they encouraged. Joshua later encouraged. Caleb encouraged. And here's the thing. How serious does God take discouragement? The Bible tells us that the people got so angry at, the, at Joshua and Caleb because they believed the fake news from the other 10 spies that they were, they were wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. They wanted to stone them. And God got so frustrated, he was ready to wipe them all off the face of the earth. God takes discouragement really serious. And so the Bible actually tells us in Numbers 14 that those 10 spies that gave the bad report, that gave the fake news, that discouraged everybody, they, God gave them the plague and they all died. And in the same paragraph, the Bible tells us, except for the encouragers, Joshua and Caleb. So it, it, I will just pause right here and say, if I want to be an encourager, and if I'm sitting here saying, man, I, I don't ever actually build people up, would you be willing today to ask God? Ask God to help you to see what Joshua and Caleb saw, so that what you see flows into your heart and into the words that you speak. Okay, secondly, let's say this. Encouragement, thank you. Encouragement flows from my proactiveness for God. Now follow me here. One of the coolest things that Jesus ever said was this. Whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, a follower of Jesus, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Let's put this together. Matthew 10, 42. If I want to be an encourager, God's saying you need to take action. You don't just sit around and encourage people. If you want to be an encourager and God's called us to be the person in Proverbs 12, 25 that gives a glad word. God put me in the life of people to give a good word from you to help their depressed, worried, anxious, troubled heart. That's a good thing. God says, I want you to be proactive. Take action for me and here's how you can do it. And, God, and watch this. God says, Jesus said, this is so simple. Not the, not, not the, it's not just for the theologians. It's not just for pastors or people in men. Anybody, a child, anybody can do this. He says it's just like a cup of water. Because, and you can look at this and say, well, he's, what's this got to do with words? It's got everything to do with words. It's, you know, I noticed you singing all day today. And I just want you to know you look thirsty. And I was thinking about you, so I brought you a bottle of water. How do you feel? You feel encouraged? When someone goes out of their way to say something to you, to buy you a small gift. Hey, I just happened to be thinking about you today. God puts you on my mind. I just wanted to call you. I just want to check in with you and be how you, know how you're doing. You hang up. How's that person feel? You did something that whoever, 
whosoever wants to can do. You, hey, just open up and just send them a text. I was thinking about you today. You're on my mind. And I just want to check in. I just want to tell you I love you. I want to tell you I appreciate you. I want to tell you thanks for coming over the other day. Thanks for whatever. That person, you can't deny it. That person, you feel encouraged when someone just out of the blue just says something to you. They write you a card. And Jesus said, the smallest of things, children coloring, drawing a picture and coloring it and sending it to somebody in the mail, taking it to their dentist. Rory, I just love you. Thanks for cleaning my teeth. Rory's at. He's on vacation. And just, it just, it's, it's such a fascinating way to catch someone's attention. I'm going to give us all one right here, okay? This is so, this is just, man, if we, if we do this, it's, it's amazing. What about the waitress when you sit down to eat? When we go to sit down to eat, I mean, you expect them to serve you. You expect them to do all these things. And if you're at a place that leaves a tip, look, look, here, here's my prayer. Here's my prayer almost every time we go. I, I hope we get the sorriest waitress there. I hope we get the person that gets our order wrong sometimes. I hope we get the person that forgets to refill my water. And sometimes I just get up and go get the water. My wife's thirsty. She drinks a gallon a day, and I just come fill her water up. Look, look, and that person's eventually, maybe they're going to say, I'm so sorry, or whatever. And then what? You leave them a good tip, and you write them an encouraging note. Anybody can do that. And that person knows, man, I really didn't wait on them really good. And that person walks away knowing that person's crazy. I did a terrible job waiting on them, and they gave me a good tip and then said something encouraging to me. When you go through the drive-thru and when the person at the grocery store is bagging your groceries, just tell them. Read their name tag. Look, look, I, I just want you to know, it may feel like you do this a hundred thousand times a day, but I really appreciate you being here. Because if you weren't here, I'd have to go through the self-checkout line with 800 bags of groceries, and I just appreciate you. Look, that person, that, that person feels like you notice them. And Jesus said, look, it's as easy as giving somebody a cup of water, but you have to be proactive in doing it. Otherwise, you just go through like everybody else, and it's just, they're, just a, they're just a nobody. Thirdly, say this, encouragement flows through my prayers about God. Now, look, this is going to feel frightening for a second. I know there's people here that to pray... In front of another person, let alone a crowd, is terrifying. I get that. I'm not denying that. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you with something really simple. When you pray a 10-second prayer with someone else, it can be so encouraging to them. And here's the most simple way to do it. You can really just focus on this one thing. When you pray, just focus on who is God and what can he do. Who's God, you're the God who creates, you're the God who saves, you're the God who gives life, you're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, whatever you want to do, do your thing. You just focus on who God is and what he can do. You're the God who parted the Red Sea, you raised the dead, you healed the lame, you give, the, you give sight to the blind. God, we know that you can do anything you want to do, so it's you that we're calling upon. Help, in Jesus' name, amen. Whatever you want to do. Now watch this. <clears throat> if you want to go a little further... Focus on who you are because of who he is and what we can, what he wants to do through us. In John chapter 11 is one of the most sad scenes in the Bible. Mary and Martha, great friends of Jesus, Lazarus has died. They sent word for Jesus, and guess who's late? God. God didn't show up on time. So when Jesus gets there, it's already a sad situation because Mary and Martha are like, if you only could have been here, well, that's discouraging. And then to make things worse, the religious discouragers are there. If you've never met a discouraging person, 
Go find a person who is all about relig- being religious but not about Jesus. Go find a person that's in the church every time the doors are open but they ain't never learned nothing about the compassion Jesus has for hurting people. And you'll find a negative, well, I don't want to say names. I was going to say a negative Nancy. Is there any Nancys here? No offense if you're a Nancy and you're watching online or just a discouraging Donald. If there's any Donalds here, I didn't mean it. It just, it just kind of, it just kind of, you know what I'm saying? And so the religious discouragers show up. And they, I mean, here's Jesus, and he's even crying at this moment. And they look at him and they say, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Don't you just wish? Jesus pulled a trophy out of his pocket and just said, You, sir, get the discourager of the year award. I mean, who says that at a funeral for crying out loud? Discouragers. Why? Because they're not sensitive to anybody with an anxious and trouble and stress in their hearts. They don't have a good word. They have a bad word to say. They're just negative about everything. And watch what Jesus prays. Watch what Jesus prays in John chapter 11. Pull that next one up. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. Pause right there. Who is God and what can he do? God is my father. That means I'm his son. That means you're his daughter. That means we're his children. What, can, what does God do? He hears us. He hears his children because he loves his children. People need to know that. We don't serve a God that's just way out there. We serve a God that's close and he loves us. And then Jesus says, but because of the people who are standing by, the discouragers, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. What else can God do? In a 10-second prayer, Jesus acknowledged who God is and what God can do in his relationship with God because of who he is. And he's simply saying, God, I believe that you can do something today that brings these discouraging unbelievers into faith in Jesus, into faith in me. Not me, but him. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of hot sometimes when you're talking in first, second, and third person in all the same sentence, but you're with me. And just, he, he... And then Lazarus, come forth. Now, granted, that was pretty good eye catcher. I mean, if you want to see people come to Jesus, let's see him raise the dead. That was awesome. But just step back and think about this. Praying in front of people is, is frightening. I know that. What if my prayer doesn't get answered? What if, what, what, if, what if God doesn't answer my prayer? I stepped out. I was trying to be encouraging. I was trying to be bold. Look, look, look. Encouragement isn't about controlling God. Encouragement is not us praying to make God do something and he has to do it because we prayed it. When you pray this way or, or however you want to pray and you acknowledge who God is and what God, here's what you're communicating to the people in the room. I trust God whether he does it or not. I trust in who he is. Whether or not God answers this prayer doesn't change his character. That's the God I'm trusting. That will be more encouraging to the people in the room than about anything else that's said that day. Because you trust in who God is and what he's able to do. If Lazarus didn't get caught back into this life... He would have been in glory. He would have been in paradise. He would have stayed in paradise. That's pretty encouraging. Because we serve the God of paradise and everlasting life. Number four. Encouragement flows through pleasant words. Will you evaluate this week 
How do you speak to people? Proverbs 16, 24 says this, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, soul and health to the bones. Isn't it, it's just interesting how it's really easy sometimes to be really kind to people at church, but then go to school or go to work and just be a grouch. Just, I mean, just curse people like a sailor. I mean, that, that happens. Parents, if you don't know about Snapchat, you need to check your kids' Snapchat. Snapchat, there's like a war sometimes going on on social media between kids, and they just... I'm not saying they're here. I'm just saying just in, just in general. There's just social media has created a world for communicating unpleasant words, but just, you know, I'll go home and I'm just, I'm just so sweet. And look, look, it's so easy to be kind and pleasant to friends, but to go home and talk to your spouse or your kids like a dog. Look, why is it easy? Because we are children of Adam and Eve. And even after we're saved and we're children of God, we still have that fleshly nature within us that wants to show his ugly head. So let's maybe, I think we would all agree, it's easy to be rude. It takes no effort to complain or nag or criticize all the wrongs in someone's life, but it takes intentional thoughts to say something pleasant, to be the sweetness. And God is saying, I want my people to be the sweet honeycomb. In somebody's day. Could we ask all the kids in the room. How often do you hear your mom and dad compliment each other? How often do you hear dad just saying. I, I just appreciate everything that you do in this house. I'm so glad to share life with you. How often do you hear your mom say. I appreciate all the hard work that you do in mowing the yard. And putting up with the poison ivy. I just appreciate you. Here's the thing. Look. I'm trying to be encouraging. When we live with each other, is it not true that we see the worst in each other? We see each other on the bad days. We see each other when we're grouchy and tired and hungry. We see each other when, oh, thank you, somebody's honest, okay. We see each other, we do, we see the worst of each other. And here's the thing, your flesh and my flesh will always challenge me and you to point out the things in your spouse or your kids that are your strengths, but it's their weaknesses, it's so easy to see where they fail because that's the area that you're just so good. I mean, really, compliment each other. Bring out the very best in each other. Look, go to the next one. Proverbs 16, 24 says this, an endless dripping on a rainy day and a nagging wife are a lock. But an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Let's just step back and think of this. The next time it rains, if you look in your roof and it's just drip, drip, drip. I mean, how do you feel? <laughs> Discouraged because there's mold and there's a mess. And how long has this been happening? And it's, it's so discouraging. And Proverbs 16 is, is saying, look, look, you can be the best wife in the world and cooking and cleaning all those things. But if you're constantly just trying to control your husband and you're just nitpicking at everything or you're just nagging and just trying to control him, which is part of the curse in Genesis 3, it's, it's really discouraging. Let's be excellent wives and excellent husbands and excellent friends by speaking life into our friends and into our family. Look, if you're the older brother, the older sister, I know she gets on your nerves and he annoys the soup out of you, even when you don't have soup in you. Just, it's just like they annoy the soup out of you. You are the older brother or sister for a reason. God created you to be that example, to be the one they look to. You'll never be the one they look to if you don't encourage. 
Don't be a nag. Be an encouragement. And then Colossians 3 says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become what? Discouraged. Why? Why? Isn't it interesting that the Bible calls out the dad of the home and says, look, dad, dad, look. I know you got to lay the you got to lay the rod down sometimes. So, I mean, God's word doesn't ignore the need for discipline and, and the call for children to obey their parents. But the, he says, "Look, dads, don't overdo it. Don't." The word in the Greek here is "don't crush their spirits. Don't back them into a corner to the point that just you're, it's just this and this and this and this, and they don't they can't win for losing." I listened to Ed Underwood, a pastor of Church of the Open Door several years ago out in Glendora, California. He's now a granddad, and he's, he was just talking on Father's Day about the good things and the failures he made as a dad. And man, did the Lord just, he just, you got to get this. He said, you got to get this. He said, he said, look, if I could give dads an advice based upon this verse, for every one rebuke you give, find 10 encouragements to give later on. Find 10 things to say that are complimentary and encouraging and inspiring because, look, you're going to have to correct a lot anyway, but don't crush their spirit. Don't be the dad that just says no to everything so that they just, they just can't wait to get out from and under the roof because it's just so discouraging. Fifthly, let's say this. Encouragement becomes words of power in Jesus' name. And you think about this. This is the final encouragement to be an encourager. We've all been called names. And man, if you grew up in a, in a house where, it, where it, was no, it was normal to be put down, you know. It's just, it just makes you not even want to live anymore. It's so hard. When you step out into the scene of John chapter 8... There's the religious, and they're doing what's easy. What's easy? To criticize, to call names, and to condemn. They've got a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery, and they, brought, they drug her up to Jesus. Notice they didn't bring the man. They, brung, they drug her up, and this is so easy. It takes no effort to do this. And they begin to acknowledge who she is and what she's done. And Jesus, what do you say about it? And eventually Jesus says, look. Whichever one of you is without sin, cast the first stone. Such a familiar passage, I know. But think about what he's doing. Think about the words that she's hearing. He just stepped in and defeated me. Did he approve what she was doing? No. He stepped in. God wants people to step in for the, and let the church be those people. And eventually when the rocks fall to the ground, she was on her deathbed and everybody walks away. And it's just Jesus and it's just her. And he says, woman, where are those that accuse you? And she says, there's none, Lord. And he says, neither do I. My goodness, could anything have been more encouraging and more uplifting to her day? He had every right to call her a name, but he called her no names. He had every right to accuse her, but he didn't accuse her. And he was the sinless one that could have rocked her, but he didn't rock her. He invited her. He didn't call her names. He called her by name to step out of darkness and into the light of his love. He said, start with me today. As a church, that's what we're doing. We're just calling people on their deathbed. We're calling people in the hospital rooms. We're calling people on the streets. We're calling people that are with you every day. And we're just saying, 
Come and let's study Jesus. And let's, let's talk about the life that he wants for you because it's encouraging. So let's ask this question again. Do my words build up or do they tear down? I think we would all agree to this. Someone could say, yeah, I've done that. But it doesn't always work. We're not trying to do what works. We're trying to do what shows off the glory of our Savior. Because it's Him that draws them. It's His Spirit that draws them. And, it's, and He just ministers through His people. So someone may say, yeah, but it, it doesn't work. I've tried to encourage people. I've tried to build them up. And here's the thing. Whenever that person's life is spiraling out of control... Years and years down the road. And maybe they begin to put the pieces together. And maybe one day they wake up and they say, you know what? I don't want this life anymore. Who are they going to call? Who are they going to call? They're not going to call the guys and the girls that made fun of them. They're not going to call those that beat them up and nitpicked and put them down. They're going to call you. And they're going to call me. And they're going to say, hey, I get it. Can you help me? And you're going to say, yeah, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get in on what God wants for your life. And they're going to say, oh, I knew you would say that. I find that encouraging. Let's pray. Father, it is here. It is here based upon the authority of your word and who Jesus is and what we know he can do in the life of an unbeliever, in the life of someone who's lost and broken and discouraged, that we ask you, fill our hearts with your word so that out of our mouths flow words of inspiration, words of invitation, because we believe in the God who has and writes rescue stories and changes lives, and saves lives, and rescues lives, and helps people to believe you can be more than your past. You can even be more than the bad choice you presently made, because God can write a new future for you. Father, let us believe that, and let us walk out today speaking the words of life into others. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.